The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and today we're going to have a great show, have a a guest on here that uh, I've been friends with for a number of years, a really terrific guy, has a great company, and uh, without much further ado, I'd like to introduce Frank DeSoma. Frank, thanks for being on the show with me. Thanks, Kelly, for the invitation. Well, what we're going to do for the next uh, 25 minutes or so is just talk about you. So I want you to feel free to, to throw anything out there that you want. Uh, you know, I know you have a segment on your website called uh, "Speaking, uh, Frankly Speaking, and yeah. so you're known for saying what's on your mind, and I want you to feel free to do that here on the radio show. Um, first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, you, your background, um, you know, any education you've got, and, and how you got into the firearms industry. More of firearms industry was a hit, was a hobby for me, but I was in aerospace manufacturing. I started in 1980, and for about 30 years, I worked my way through it from being a general machinist, a tool and die maker, starting a CNC shop before there was NCs when I started. Um, and then we started a, machine, a CNC shop, which I had my full hands on that one. And I got into process engineering, so I determined how products would be manufactured. But aerospace for me was boring in this regard. It was boring because I had no creativity, meaning this. I couldn't determine how a part could, could be, like change the dimensions on a part or angles or whatever. Um, the only creativity I had was how to program it. What were the phases it took to manufacture the part that's on the print to the exact specification and all the processes it took to complete it to where it was complete. Fixturing, tooling, programming. That was my creativity, but the actual part, not. And I understand that wholeheartedly. Someone doesn't need to be flying in a plane at 36,000 feet with some schmuck like me changing a dimension on the print because I think it would look better or work better. So I understand there's a standard you had to work with. So messing around with firearms one day, I was rebuilding a, a foul with my son in the garage, an old foul parts kit. And I looked at the piston system and I went, whoa, why can't I just put that piston type of system on an AR? Because I didn't like how it operated. All my friends had ARs and 1911s, and I was the oddball. I had HK91s, roller delay system, blowback, and I had Glock pistols, you know. So I was the oddball amongst my friends. Well, I have to admit, uh, Frank, uh, 
what you're talking about is all foreign to me. I have no idea. I've, you know, I've been in bolt guns all my life. I've never been much of an AR guy. As a matter of fact, the first AR I ever owned was a POF AR. I mean, uh, thank you, thank AR you. AR that that I actually uh, bid on and won at uh, a charity event. So, yeah. Um, so. Let's not assume that we all know everything that you're talking about and, and kind of help us out with some of that lingo so that we know what it is that, that, that you're talking about. Okay, the predominant stoner design, because Eugene Stoner developed the AR-15. Well, he's developed the AR-10 to start with, but he made the M-16 that the military adapted in 1962. The civilian version, the semi-automatic rifle, sporting rifle, is a direct impingement. They use a gas tube from the gas block with a hole in the barrel that takes gas. Unlike the bolt gun that doesn't have any operating system, you manually open the action and close it like you're talking about. A gas block that's fitted on a barrel with a hole in the barrel that that takes gas that's being that's propelling the the projectile down the bolt down the barrel is the gas is used to operate the action instead of manually doing it. And they used a gas tube that was tied to the gas block that went to the carrier. And inside the carrier, it had rings. So that was the pneumatic cylinder there, basically, to unlock the action. The problem I seen with that, there was heat, carbon buildup for the byproduct of what gas does when you're burning powder. And heat is a negative thing with everything that's mechanical. And carbon's going to build friction and drag. You know, Frank Zev here, uh, you just, uh, I got to cut in because you just talked about one of my favorite videos that I've seen out there of your product where you do a side-by-side -side between a direct impingement gun and your piston gun at night looking at it through FLIR or infrared. And it's remarkable, remarkable how the uh, action and the bolt within your system just stays dark. You know, it doesn't light up because it doesn't get hot. Well, it's because we're not bringing the heat into the action. Or any of the muck that goes with it. Well, the pneumatic cylinders in the gas block where the piston system is. And we have a mechanical rod that drives the carrier instead of a gas tube working with the traditional uh, DI system. So that was our unique phase of bringing it in. We did this. I showed it at the SHOT Show in 2004. And we started selling in 2004. We had the first piston driven on the market that was selling to the public in 2004. <laughs> Fast forward to today, look how many piston guns there are in the market. So there's a lot of different players that are out there, and there's advantages to it. A disadvantage right now is you're going to be a couple ounces heavier. There's just no getting away around it because you're dealing with solid pieces of metal compared to a hollow gas tube. Yeah, but Frank, I just saw uh, one of your new models at SHOT Show, and somehow you were able to fit a 308 AR into the same frame and size as a, as a 5.56. And again, you know, a, a good byproduct of your uh, rocket science engineering. How did you do that? How did you make that 308? What is it, under 8, eight pounds? Or? And well, the first version we're bringing out is a 16.5-inch barrel. It's called the Revolution. And it's revolutionary in what it does. And how do you do that? I guess first you got to dream. You got to be a dreamer. You have to be. I mean, if you don't dream and chase dreams and follow through with them, then you have nothing other than sitting there and doing absolutely nothing. Um, 
I'm the oddball that likes taking on challenges. When someone says you can't, it can't be done, I like figuring out why it can't be done. So that three-letter word, why, in our vocabulary is pretty powerful. So you kept seeing in the industry for the last last 10 years, what, a 6.8 caliber, a 6.5 Grendel. Hey, we got down the 300 blackout that's shooting a 30 caliber bullet out of an AR-15. Everything's made to be kind of like a 308. They like the size and weight and mobility of an AR-15 platform, but they want the real punch of a battle rifle cartridge. You know, the 7.62 by 51 NATO 308 caliber is a battle rifle cartridge. So we said, since everyone's trying to make through cartridges, the AR-15 like a 308, why not do it? Why not try to make it? Oh, it can't be done. Why can't it be? So you got to try it. And here's the other thing you got to do. You got to fail. Everything's a learnable moment. Whether you fail or succeed at whatever you do, and that knowledge can never be lost or you shouldn't lose it. You should always gain knowledge. The second you stop learning, I don't think you're on this earth anymore. I mean... Life is nothing but a learning experience, everything you do. So if you're trying to improve upon something, every little detail means something. Whether you fail or succeed, they're both learnable moments. You know, I agree with you 100%. My dad once told me that we would never be able to make a mold that wasn't bisymmetrical, meaning that the mold was split down the middle and that the stock basically was the same on both sides, which, you know, the first half a dozen stocks we made were that way. Uh, But that limited us to what we could do. So one day I was out in the uh, shop doing some work. Orders were a little slow. And... um, I said, well, you know, if we clayed this into the mold this way and we ran the clay up here, and so I just did it. Uh, and when I showed him what I'd done, he kind of looked at me, surprising to him that I actually had an idea. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was a big dumb jock and didn't, didn't know anything. But um, it was actually the first moment where it allowed Macmillan fiberglass stocks to start to mature into a, a business rather than just a hobby of making a few different kinds of stocks. And had we not been willing to to try that just because my dad said it couldn't be done, I wasn't going to take that you know verbatim. So um, I agree with you that man, if you're not willing to t- to take the chance and fail, if I wasn't willing to hear my dad say, "See, I told you so," uh, <laughs> I probably never would have done it, and and we would have never been where we are today. Yeah, well, that's why you succeed. You took risk, and risk. There's rewards and failures in it, but everything's learnable. And I think that's what's cool about this industry and creating stuff. If you create something and it works good and it's a pretty neat product, people, because of freedom, our individual right of choice will give you opportunities. That's the greatness of America. Well, you know, one of the things that you you have kind of a habit of going back to that word freedom and obviously uh it means a great deal to you. I know how you feel about patriotism. You named your company Patriot Ordnance Factory. I think that in itself um, kind of gives a, a person an, an indication of who you are and where you come from. But um, why is it all so important to you? Why does all this freedom and being an American and, you know, all of that stuff that goes along with it, why is that so important to you? Because I know a lot of people would say, oh, I'm a patriot. 
or I'm, you know, I'm proud to be an American, but you know, when it comes right down to it, uh, they just kind of go along to get along. And that definitely is not your mode of operation. No, I, I believe real people that are honest with themselves actually live and breathe what they do. Just like you, Kelly, you believe in what you do. You stand by what you say. You're an honorable man. I don't need 10 attorneys to deal with Kelly McMillan. His word, his handshake, um, it's gold. It's golden with me, and his word's golden anywhere you go. It's the same thing. And a patriot I relate to, a patriot is not just a soldier. It's every individual from all walks of life that have love and care of nation and of this country and the greatness of freedom that affords us everything we have opportunities to chase and fail at. I mean, and if you look at history, and I'm not a huge history buff, but it's pretty simple for me to see that a nation of free men of less than 250 years in existence built one hell of a great nation, and we've helped so many people throughout this world, including, unfortunately, being in world wars, but if we weren't involved, we may not be a free world right now. Because of freedom, our individual right of choice. Look at all the greatness that this country's elevated. Because if you look at, okay, what about Africa, where man came from, supposedly, right? If you're religious and your beliefs, where did man start? You got the Middle East. You had the Persians and Egypt and all that. Powerful societies throughout history. China. All these great societies. The United States being one of the youngest countries in 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 existence in this world, we should be pining to be as great of a nation of what they are. And how great of a nation are they? Where they enslave people, where you don't see freedom, where you don't see individual right of choice to chase their dreams individually. So I equate that to all the greatness and technologies that have advanced and excelled the United States forward. I'm proud to be part of this nation. I'm proud to be called and being said that I'm an American citizen. I have, hey, my great-grandfather came from Italy. My grandfather told my uncles and, and my dad, they are Americans. They don't speak Italian, they speak English. And I've always remembered that. They need to be proud of this nation that they're part of because they are truly American citizens. And well, you know, I agree with you 100%, and, and I think... Uh, there's a thread on, on my Facebook page right now uh, where people are talking this very thing. I have a very good friend of mine who came to this country at two years old and her parents were Germans and they left Germany and they brought her here and they immediately started learning English and they did everything they could do to get rid of their German accent and they you know, sent their kids to American schools and, and taught them to be Americans. And if, if people want to come to this country and do that, I'm all for them. I'm all for letting them come in, but I'm not so sure that the intent of most of the immigrants today have that in mind, and, and a lot of it was kind of fortified by the last administration and eight years of apologies. I'm, I am really happy that we have a president today that doesn't feel the need to apologize for us for any reason. Um, I'm with you. We're, we're the greatest nation on earth. I think we ought to be proud to be that. And we should be a nation that, that people fear if, if they're bad guys and that they look at us and admire us if they're good guys because they want to be like us and, and not try to come in, into our world and change it. You know, that, that brings up a, another point. 
Um, the United States of America has probably uh, the most guns per capita, I believe, in the world. And I think uh, some of the reasons that the Nazis and the Japanese didn't attack us is because they knew that all the deer hunters in Wisconsin could put them down by themselves. <laughs> but when I think about what, what POF does, and, you know, really, if, if you pick up one of their catalogs, if you go on their website, you're going to see a picture of a patriot holding the gun. Uh, all, most of their rifles are like that. And, and I think the reason is clear. Um, we want to be able to have sport, we want to be able to hunt, but that's not what the Second Amendment is about. The Second Amendment is about tyranny uh, from within. And, uh, you know, Frank has done some amazing things. He's offered uh, our president a rifle for every tower on the border between Mexico and the United States. Um, and I, I believe you upped that to, uh, to the new 308 version, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And, uh, but what I wanted to talk to you about next was you know, what do you do as far as the three-gun matches and competitions? You know, you put them in the hands of the users, but are you doing anything in time? We just came off the Southwest Nationals of Burgers, uh, you know, and I was watching guys doing bolt action with Palma and FTR and F-Class. That was fascinating. But equally fascinating to me is a three-gun world. Um, do you do any sponsorship with that? Yes, we sponsor um, the Mystery Mountain three-gun here in March. We're the match sponsor for that. We're a match sponsor for Ironman up in Idaho. That's a really tough a lot of shooting and a lot of moving in that one and that's done with the up in idaho so i mean we we support shooting events no different than what kelly does we try our best to try to help and get people involved and it's not just to compete it's a family outing i mean shoot kelly and i go to some things and support some charities and we go to a, a skeet shoot Thing where it's just as enjoyable shooting shotguns. It's just the point is this is no different than playing golf. You can go shoot, shoot skeet, you can go shoot on paper, you can do a competition shoot, or whatever. It's just like playing golf, it's just a little noisier. <laughs> <laughs> now, I noticed that you also uh, name your gun uh, guns after something that might have to do with the Revolutionary War that time period. I believe you have the skirmish, you have the revolution. Uh, the uh, What are some of the other uh, The revolt. Things? And the revolt, I believe you made Puritan. We, uh, got, we even have a novelty one called the War Hog. It actually looks like a like a hog, like a boar. I've seen that front end on it. I've, I mean, uh, I've wanted that. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, okay. I do. I do promote patriotism and when we do put in our advertisements we do ads i've done ads with we don't even talk about our gun we talk about patriotism because for without it we don't have a nation if we don't care and work together as one to for the betterment of this nation we i will cease to exist as a business mcmillan will will have anarchy and We'll have messes like they have, I don't know, I'd say like in the Middle East right now. We've been seeing it for years. Well, we've talked a lot about your company. Uh, what's the website? Where can they go find out more about POF? Uh, www.pof-usa.com. That's pretty simple. That They should be able to find that. I'm sure if they go Google you, you're, you're way up at the top. Um, one of the things that really stimulates me and has really kept me excited after being in this business for over 40 years is the marketing and advertising because that, that changes. I mean, even the type of people that we advertise to changes from time to time, so it's never stale. And one of the things that I love about one of your programs, probably the neatest thing I've ever seen is the will you um, set of 
of questions that you ask Americans. And uh, talk about that a little bit. Give us some of those quotes so that the people understand why they're so meaningful to me. Okay. Um, I could tell you a little bit of that, and that has to do with my stepfather, Lee. He brought me into the art world. He opened that to me. My dad, my, my own father, he wasn't in the art much, but my stepfather was. He opened that world to me. And art is very transcending. Art has symbols. So we have uniting against tyranny since 1775. Will you? You know, on our darkest of days, liberty still stands. Will you? You know, um, what's another one? Defending the homeland since 1775, will you? So we have three artists that we've hired throughout the years, and we still work with them. We have a pencil artist, we have a sculpture artist, and we also have a photography artist. And we use them to promote symbols of what we do, but it's a patriotic theme always. But when I look at art, I also think of World War II. Look at all the propaganda, the posters that were out there. So the theme is trying to do some of those things. I want people, when they look at a piece of art or an advertisement, and question themselves when they're seeing it so they get more involved other than just seeing something. So the will of you draws them in because now it's questioning them. Are you a patriot? Do you stand by your nation? Do you have love of nation in this country? Would you defend her? What an awesome concept. And I mean, when you see the, the posters, uh, they just evoke that emotional response that I get when I think about how proud I am to be an American and what it means. And, and frankly, to question myself what I'm willing to do for it. Uh, I, I'm going to talk a little bit. You said you have a, a, a sculpture artist. And I think you and I came across the same guy totally by accident because when I was having the sculpture of the Marine Corps um, M40A1 and the M40A3, I'd met a guy who did Marine sculptures and his name's Dave Vanell. And I liked his work so much, I commissioned him to do these two sculptures for me and they were phenomenal. And then I was you know, talking with him one day and he says, oh yeah, I, I did the, the statue that's in Frank's office and I had seen it and I thought, oh, what a small world, but he's a phenomenal artist. Yes, Dave, Dave is very, very talented and he's another patriot too. That's why I always did the stuff when he, I got to see the artwork he did for you too. It was like, oh my God, absolutely beautiful. Well, you know, there's a few things that, that I like to do and I know you're relatively new in this business, being from 2004. We've been in business since 1973, basically in our third generation of the McMillan family in this business. And uh, you you want things to be remembered. You don't think about it when you first start. My dad sold the very first action he ever made. I'm just fortunate enough that the guy that owned it said, you know, I really don't have a need for it anymore. Do you want it? And, and gave me the chance to buy it back. But my dad never thought about anything being of any value unless he could sell it. He never thought about what was going to happen 25 years from now and how he was going to feel about it. And, and so all of the items that I have in the museum They've come back to me. It's not like we kept them thinking, yeah, someday we're going to have a museum and put it in there. But the artwork is something that I know will never leave the McMillan family, and it's something that will be remembered. And one of the statues that, that I had uh, done by Dave is on display at the, the Marine Corps um, 
downrange club at the uh, marksmanship training unit, and um, I'm very proud of that because of the connection that we've had with the Marine Corps. You doing anything with the military? You got anything working with with any of the groups? Well, we did some that you in can the talk past. about. We did some in the past for a group that you always hear about that has a number. Um, in the past, they had little short barrel. 12-inch 308s that they had in the field, but recently the revolution is getting us a lot more acknowledgement from different groups. I mean, they're looking for basically what we did with the revolution, an AR-15 with a force multiplier because it's a punch of a battle rifle, Mm -hmm. but the mobility of an AR, yes. There's people in different groups looking at it. Do I have any big contracts? Uh, I don't have those things, but there's things that are in the works. I could say that. Great. Um, one thing that you haven't talked about, and I know we don't have much time left, so I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, three, 308 is not the, the gun with the biggest punch that you're working on. I know that. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, so if yeah. it's too early, you can pass no, on that. No, but, okay. no, no, no. We have also the P308. So in regards with the same concept of what we did, the Revolution uses an AR-15 carrier. It uses an AR-15 cam pen. It uses an AR-15 charging handle. It uses an AR-15 size barrel nut operating system, the piston system, which it is. Same rail system. The re- upper and lower receiver are the same size dimensionally to the mil-spec prints of an AR-15 uh, mil-spec or M16 without, the, obviously, the sear for the full auto sear hole in it. Um, other than it's got a larger mag well because you got to put the larger cartridge in it, the 308, 762 by 51. So if we can make an AR-15 shoot 308, if we did an AR-10, which we already had called the P-308, why couldn't we make that shoot the 300 wind mag? I.e., that's what we have. It's called the P-300. And we made an AR-15, or an AR-10, excuse me, AR-10 size receiver shoot 300 wind mag now. So we compress the engineering. Because everyone, when they're building guns, it's real simple to shoot a larger caliber and keep making the gun larger and larger and heavier. And it's a safe route to go. There's no question there. But who wants to carry that, Kelly? You've been hunting a lot. Who wants to carry a bunch of heavy weight out there unless, you know, you're shooting at targets way out there and you get your McMillan 50 and you own it. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to explain that. You know, as I say almost every show, when you have an interesting guest, the time seems to fly by. And I'm sorry, Frank, we're out of time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. Why don't you tell us your uh, website one more time and how people can get more familiar with your products? Well, you can visit our web- website at www.pof-usa.com and you can read about all the innovations that we create. And they're meant with purposes. They're engineered features that have a purpose in working and and working against, which is a negative thing of heat or harmonics or friction or rigidity. Some of the things and the features we have work against that to to make it be a product that would stand so it's a relentless reliably 
you know, it sits there and it operates and, and under harsh conditions and keeps running. Well, I really appreciate you being here with us, Frank, my patriotic friend. I uh, look forward to the next time we can have you on the show. And for the rest of you, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this commercial break. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports for over 40 years mcmillan usa has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry the company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form function and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks from tactical to hunting to competitive shooting mcmillan stocks are designed to dominate their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148. Or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148. Or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Um, that was a very interesting segment. Uh, Frank's always interesting to listen to. I love the fact that he's so gung-ho American and patriotic. Uh, really makes me question about how I can, you know, be more dedicated to, to being an American and, and feel better about that because uh, he sure has no question about where he stands. Um, that brings me to our next guest. Um, I know these people because they're here in Phoenix and um, – for the same reason that I, I wanted to interview Frank, I'm really looking forward to interview this couple. Um, not only are they patriotic and Second Amendment buffs, um, they're involved in spreading the word about our Second Amendment freedoms and standing up for what uh, we believe in. And I really have a lot of respect for people who don't just talk a good game, but are willing to go out there and get involved. And for sure, Cheryl and Dan Todd are, is that couple. They own AZ Firearms, uh, and they run the Pot of Gold Auctions, and they're executive producers 
and host of Gun Freedom Radio um, here on Network Radio uh, in a, a station here in Arizona. So I'd like to introduce both of them. Um, let each of you say hello and, and introduce yourselves. Well, thank you so much for having us on and for such a, a wonderful and, and generous uh, introduction there, uh, Kelly. This is Cheryl Todd, and um, we are just honored to be able to be on your show, and I can't believe that I'm following, you know, the rule of the game is you never follow a better uh, performer or somebody that has a stronger personality, and I'm following Frank DeSoma. I mean, what's up with that? What? <laughs> that is a tough act to follow. Well, that's tough for everybody to follow. <laughs> so true. I'm, I'm, I'm just honored to be on the same show as both of you, so... Uh, I'll be quiet now and let Dan say hi. How about that? All right. Well, thank you for having us on. I'm Dan Todd, and like uh, you said, I'm the co-owner of uh, whatever Cheryl tells me to do. (laughs) Well, well, awesome. Yeah, I think we all relate to a relationship like that. (laughs) That's how we've stayed married and working together for almost 32 years. Cheryl, quit reminding uh... me, okay? No, it's all good. (laughs) We're going to go another 30 well, congratulations on that. That's a that that's a long time, and that's a tremendous uh, feather in your cap for uh, two people to be able to say that they've managed to learn to uh, work and live and play together for 32 years, and still find each other attractive and and likable. So, uh, I, I really love that about you. Well, thank you. Thank for you. That. Okay, let's get down to firearms. Um, Owner of AZ Firearms. Let's talk a, a little bit about that. Tell us where it is, um, website, so people can look you up, find uh, find you, and find out a little bit more about what you do. Well, Dan, that is really, you know, his love. So, Dan, you run with that one if you would. Well, we're the owners of azfirearms.com, and you can find us on our website at azfirearms.com. We're at 215 East Western in Avondale, Arizona. We probably have the strangest uh, gun shop in, in the country. We have everywhere from machine guns to Gatling guns to the regular Glocks. It's not the normal store that you go into. We offer gunsmithing in uh, pretty well a mom-and-pop feel with a big store uh, service. But, um, you know, we just do everything. Now, hey, guys, it's Zeb here. Uh, welcome to the show. I uh, hey. have to say that you, uh, you described your, your store well, but, but for me, not good enough. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't add the howitzer that you have, and you didn't add all the very unique machine guns that you have. And just for our listeners, um, I had the pleasure of going out with them, oh, about seven, eight months ago, uh, when they had fun with the ladies, a, a group of luminaries uh, in the female shooting world went out with Cheryl, and they just brought every gun out there that you could think of. Um, and they had the actual howitzer that was used in the Batman movie. And uh, I'm, I'm a drone operator as well, and I had my drone up a good 120 yards away from the cannon. And, of course, they weren't shooting any projectiles. It was just the, the amount of powder that one would use. And after the first shot, my drone never acted the same since. <laughs> that, that, that shockwave actually put that gimbal out of commission. Um, so you guys really have a unique business. Um, you have a unique collection. And I think that you know anybody who's looking from an LCP 380 
uh, all the way up to a howitzer needs to come by or, or get on your website. Well, I appreciate well, the comments. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the most unknown subject about what you talked about, and that was the machine guns and all of the items that you need a tax stamp for. People have this misconception that that machine guns are illegal and that silencers are illegal, which we don't even call them that anymore. But talk a little bit about how that whole uh, system works and how you provide those types of of items for the common uh, individual. Well, anybody can own a machine gun that's not a felon. There is a, a, a process you have to go through. Basically, you come in, you pick the gun that you like, um, we do uh, quite a bit of paperwork. There, uh, it's a little more detailed than a 4473. You have to get uh, photos, and you have to submit that to the um, FBI, and they do about a nine-month check right now. It takes about nine months. And once you get approved, then you come in, and you can pick up the gun. Now, it's not real difficult, but it just takes time, and that's for suppressors or for machine guns or, or destructive device guns, which we also carry. So that means you're an SOT? Yes, we're a Class 10 SOT. That means destructive device. I can pretty well make a machine gun today, has to register it and everything, but we can, we can do anything. And that's really good for people to know because the more information that they have about what they can and can't do legally, the better off we are. And especially in Arizona, now that we've adopted the the legality of shoot, of hunting with suppressors, that should be a much more common thing. And I know there's some people working really hard within the government to try to to take them out of the the SOT bailiwick simply because, you know, they really never belong there in the first place. Right. Well, suppressors are not like what they say in the movies. You know, uh, you can still hear them. But basically what it does is it reduces the noise enough that it doesn't damage your eardrums. And so if you're out hunting, you know, you can't wear earplugs because you need to hear the environment. You need to hear for game. You also need to hear for other people that might be out. So it's very dangerous to shoot, uh, to hunt with uh, earplugs. So um, taking away that, uh, that license, which it will still be classified as a firearm. You still have to go through a 4473 to buy. It just, it just makes sense, and I'm pretty sure that's going to go through. And when do you think that might be? I'm not sure, but Cheryl, you might have the information on that. You know, I haven't seen a timeline, but I do know that it is being treated as a, a top priority issue, kind of one of those almost like why wouldn't we get this passed uh, sort of an issue. And so I, I think it's going to, you know, maybe within the first 100 days as, as uh, you know, it's been kind of put on the, our new president's list, um, you know, removing that from the, the NFA list and, and removing that tax, uh, exorbitant tax that you need to pay. So um, it's hard to say because when you're talking about Washington and bureaucracy of any kind, you know, it's a slow-moving boat usually. Um, you know what, Cheryl, I don't, you're... You're right about that. It is a slow-moving boat. I actually read an analysis about a week ago uh, where they said it's going to take a good nine to thirteen months just to go really? through. Yeah, just to go through all the red tape. Um, no, and, I had not heard that. Yeah, and actually, one of the larger suppressor companies had hired on a lot of people, thinking it was going to happen quicker, and yeah. they just let a lot of people go. One of the major silencer companies. Well, even mm-hmm. if they approve it. 
even after they approve it, it takes 90 days, I think, before it can go into effect. So there are, you know, the good thing is, from what we hear, is that if you buy a suppressor today and you pay that $200 tax, that from the time the bill was introduced, um, you will get your money back. You'll get your $200 back. So that's, that's kind of correct, yep. So that, that means why stop? If you want to buy a suppressor, buy a suppressor today. Uh, and go ahead and get it going. And if it if it changes, then it's just a benefit for you, and you're going to get your money back. Well, I have three of them on order, so you know if it happens really quickly, that's fine. And if not, I'm going to have the three suppressors: uh, a couple for hunting rifles, a couple for non-hunting rifles. So I'm actually going to switch one back and forth, so I can use it for hunting when I'm hunting with that particular caliber. Um, you know that brings us. And thanks for sharing that about your your store and your activities, it, it means a lot for the people here in Arizona and around the country to, to hear how unmysterious the whole NFA item thing is and how easy it is. It does take a long time, but it's not very difficult. And when I had the firearms company, we obviously had an SOT as well because we manufactured a product that, that included short barrels and silencers or suppressors. So um, we had to have it, but we gave it up when we sold the rifle company. But it's good to know that there's somebody in town that we can go to if we, if we have that need. Cheryl, I want to talk to you about your radio show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you were really uh, kind enough to have me on a, a little while ago, and, and we've been uh, internet friends for a long time, and, and we met for the first time at a, a shindig, <laughs> I guess you could call it, at um, the um, law offices yep. of somebody on, it was an ASU um Mm-hmm. Event. Why don't you talk about that a little bit and what we what we found out during this thing? Yeah. Well, it was uh, kind of advertised as a, a debate, right? And it didn't really turn out to be much of a debate um, because Dr. John Arlott came in to the Phoenix area, was hosted on the campus of ASU Law School of you know some big long name, and you know I. I've forgotten the name of the person that he was debating, but it was one of our local um, state representatives. And so Dr. Lott stands up and he gives all of his very well-researched data and statistics, and he's even given the counterpoints out there, which I always respect in in any uh, authority, because then you feel like you can trust them more because they've at least already considered, okay, I know everybody's afraid that when we go to constitutional carry, there's going to be blood in the streets, but here's the evidence that showed that in areas where they have gone to constitutional carry, this is what's actually happened. And uh, just did a, a phenomenal job. And then it was time for the counter uh, debater to stand up, the state representative, and he really didn't have anything at all. He, he actually even said, you know, I'm not even going to stand up because, you know, I'm just more comfortable sitting. And then he said, you know, I Googled some things last night, and this is what I found about, you know, gun laws. And, and Cheryl, and- is, that, is that breaking in just for a second? His, I want everybody to know his name, because when you have somebody like that who acts as if he's representing people, and then mm-hmm. he comes so poorly representing and just saying, well, you know, I just don't like guns. I don't really have to have facts because facts mean nothing. And this, this guy's name is Juan Mendez. 
Thank and it you. Was at, it, yeah, I was at the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, so that was a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm with Zev. I I the thing I was the most struck by about the whole thing was that that he didn't say anything except because I said so. You know, that reminded me of my parents a lot when I was a kid. You know, uh, this is the way it should be because I said so, and that's the only real facts he brought to the to the debate. So I agree with you, it was not a debate. What I wanted to ask you about, though, and hoping you would get to is, uh, we were there with probably, I'm guessing there was 70 or 75 college-age students, and I'm assuming most of them were, were college-age, or were college students. Did you get a, a feel for how any of those people left? I know we were part of the audience, and I, I think that, that you may have had a better feel for uh, how people came in feeling and how they left, because I know they, they asked some questions. Yeah, and that was really uh, smart of the people sure, that yeah. had organized it. And I think it's the, uh, the Federalist Society, I think, that, that was hosting it. And they pulled the room. So we got in, we got settled in, and they asked everybody to raise their hands. Do you think there should be guns on campus? And so many people raised their hands. And then do you think there shouldn't be, or are you undecided? Hands raised for each of the three groups. By the end of it, which... I think that that was part of, of where Juan Mendez went wrong, is he probably thought, I'm going into a college campus, and people who tend, you know, politically to be very liberally minded, and so he probably thought, I don't really need to do any research, and so, you know, I've got this in the bag. But then what happened was Dr. Lott came with such great research and was very uh, persuasive in what he was presenting, not because he's even a persuasional, persuasionally, uh, you know, animated or emotional guy, but just, you know, the facts just speak so loudly for him. So then by the end, when the hands were raised again, there was, I believe, about an 80% shift in who had previously said guns shouldn't be on campus to now at least considering it, if not feeling like, yeah, this makes sense for guns to be allowed on college campuses. And I think a lot of that really comes from, you know, something we talk about on our show on Gun Freedom Radio when we interview people that are about college campus carry and that sort of thing is that in Arizona specifically, we're pretty much treated like adults when it comes to our gun rights and our gun laws. We have constitutional carry here. And on one side of the sidewalk of a college campus, someone who is of age and is legally allowed enjoys all of the freedoms to protect themselves with any means that they see necessary, up to and including guns, uh, knives, and pepper spray. They step across a sidewalk onto a college campus, and suddenly all of their knowledge, their responsibility, their training, all of that is somehow negated. It goes out the window, and now it's completely about the tool involved. And, you know, any intellectual person would look at that scenario and say, that doesn't make any sense at all. So why would I support that? The one thing that I can say is that if liberals didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. So (laughs) when it comes to any type of argument, pretty much because I said so is good enough for them. 
Right? Can, can you imagine how hard it is to debate something that they don't have any real facts on? I mean, none of it's true anyway. What they're, what they're saying, that guns cause crime and all this other stuff, there is no real hard facts. How do you debate that? Well, well for them, they just true. go to an emotional place, and they tell an emotional story about a specific person that was, you know, done wrong. And it's like we live in an imperfect world. But, you know, if you want to say, would you rather live under, you know, the imperfection that freedom allows? versus the imperfection that lack of freedoms allow, you know, I think that a lot of people, the majority of people, would say, yeah, you know, give me freedom. We'll get it figured out. I know that some people, you know, are going to get hurt and injured and, and all those sorts of things, but I would still rather live under the imperfection of freedom. Cheryl, you know, I've always said, well, certainly for the past eight Obama years, that I'm mm-hmm. glad that liberals are anti-gun because they get so angry that I wouldn't want them to have a gun in their hand. And <laughs> I think that that was worn out. You know, when you look at what happened at UC Berkeley, uh, the rioting and, and the horrible damage done and, you know, all the memes we've seen on Facebook and, and other places where, you know, when Obama won for those first four years and then the other four years, there were no Republicans or conservatives burning cities, let alone their own cities. And yet the moment, mm-hmm. you know, somebody else gets into the power, uh, the, the liberals believe that they have the right to just do whatever they want. And that, again, goes back to Juan Mendez, who thought that he could do whatever he wanted because he thought he had it in the bag. So, I was amazed when I heard uh, on television the other day uh, one of the females that participated in organizing those riots actually claimed that she was happy that things worked out the way they did and that they had that right because, you know, they were right and and the, you know, people that were, that they were right, the guy that they were, you know, basically trying to forbid from speaking was wrong and so that they had that right and that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And Milo Yiannopoulos is actually exactly. a gay, you know, uh, conservative who is open about it and uh, he certainly represents a voice uh, within that LGBT community, so to stifle him just because he's not exactly the you know stepping to the beat of their drum, that just shows their hypocrisy. I'm sure you hear yeah. stories like that all the time on your radio show, Cheryl. Um, talk about some of the stuff that um, we may not have heard of that that you know really brings to the forefront why we really need to have these liberties and and freedoms. Well, you know, I think what. What comes to mind is the fact that with this new election, we have such a, a new and amazing opportunity to reach an audience or a group of audiences that maybe we haven't before. And this very bad behavior by groups by, uh, like, I think you're referring to the by any means necessary group. Uh, that, that feel like if, if they personally disagree with your speech, they have a right to shut you down. Um, so with the new, the new election, some of the audiences that have opened up to us are people that, that are the gay and, and lesbian community, a lot of the liberal communities, right? Anybody that has been a minority uh, part of a minority population or been marginalized in any way, shape, or form, uh, we now have an opportunity to reach them in a way that we didn't before. 
So let's look at the, the liberal uh, population. Now, I'm not talking about maybe the progressives. I think progressives are always going to look to some sort of an organized way of dealing with anything they don't uh, agree with. I mean, President Obama's parting speech was all about don't get mad, get organized, right? And so the, um, but the, the liberals that we have a chance to reach, where they used to look at those of us who had a mistrust for government, right? Because the Second Amendment, really, they say it's not really about hunting. It's not about even about necessarily personal protection, but it's about, you know, being able to uh, show the government that they there is pushback. And there, there's not just pushback as a suggestion, but, you know, there's some teeth behind it. So we were those of us that felt like, well, you know, Government's fine and all that, but, you know, we don't really trust this huge power. Now, the liberals that used to think we were conspiracy theorists for thinking that way are like, oh, wait a minute, I get it now. I don't trust government. And so what do I do about it? And so when they are, are open to the idea of, of thinking about the Second Amendment in that way and thinking about... Uh, firearms as being something they would like to incorporate into their lives. I think we have to be very careful about how we, um, and very open about how we uh, approach them and, and allow them to approach us. That, you know, hey, we all have commonalities. Let's find that commonality and move from there. Uh, one of the guests that's been on my show several times is Lara Smith, who is a liberal who lives in San Francisco, voted for Hillary Clinton, which I still I can't quite meld together in my mind. You know, it seems like, okay, I'm going to vote away my gun rights, but I'm for gun rights because Lara is the national spokesperson and the president of the Liberal Gun Club in, uh, in, San, in the San Francisco area, but they do have chapters across the nation. And uh, Danny likes to tease her because we are pals and he says well i'm gonna uh develop the anti-gun gun lovers club because that's what people hear when they say how can you be a liberal and also uh be for the second amendment uh, there just seems like there's this huge disconnect but but we have an opportunity to find where they do connect and to you know bring not necessarily more people into our fold or, or to pull people from our fold to theirs because I think we've been, it's been set up like a zero-sum game for at least the last eight years where you have to either be an us or a them, uh, but to find areas of commonality and, and to foster those areas of commonality. And if we can really help people realize that the Second Amendment is not a, a left or a right issue, it's not a conservative or a liberal issue, it's a constitutional right and, you know, protects our God-given rights, obviously, and it's for everyone. And well, you know, uh, at that point, Cheryl, I think we're going to have to close because we're getting really close to the uh, hard stop here. Uh, I want to thank both you and Dan for being on the show. I know that after eight years of liberal um, administration, you had something that really drove your radio show. I'm hoping that in the next eight years with uh, a conservative uh, agenda 
on the table that you'll still find interesting things to talk about when it comes to our Second Amendment freedom. Uh, thanks again for being with us. Really appreciated having you both, and uh, the best of luck in the next uh, few years. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much, Kelly, and the same to you. God bless. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.